It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You are now listening to the TTM Sports Show. The show that's by the fans, for the fans. Hosted by me, James Hounsell. And me, James Harrison. Where we bring you... Explosive debate. Big interviews and guests. Trending topics. With regular uploads. And now sponsored by Froome's very own Prestige Paving and Patios. And also now with over 100 episodes. You're listening to the TTM Sports Show. Welcome to episode 129 of the TTM Sports Show. My name is James Harrison and tonight I'm delighted to be joined by esteemed author, podcast man, YouTuber, social media star, you name it, <laughs> Dev Bajwa. Um, for your sins, a Manchester United fan, but look, hey. welcome man, welcome. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me man, I really appreciate it. Wicked, and um, obviously I mentioned first off that, that you're an author. Um, you've just released a book, interestingly enough. Um, writing is really taking on a bit of a renaissance at the minute, probably with, I would say, the normal football fan. And I think that it's it's great that normal football fans are championing writing and championing mm. the, the aspect it's not exclusive to uh, multimillionaire-backed telegraph writers and it's yeah. now actually coming out into the mainstream so for instance for me i'm writing a book on um, i follow england home and away and the book that i'm writing at the moment is called follow england away and it's testimonies from england fans um okay. real testimonies of real stories of when they followed england away of where things have gone wrong and amazing things have happened and silly things have happened and you know you name it it's happened mm-hmm. um from the russians in marseille to locked cars in Nice, to Russia, via Skopje, I think. So, you know, yeah. it's show. but tell tell us all about your book and why you think your book's different. 
Yeah, I think you're right in the sense that I never really thought I could write. It wasn't that I didn't back myself to do it. I kind of always did. But it was more the sense that, you know, every time I kept looking online, it was like you need a literary agent, you need representation, you need this, you need a like a qualification in journalism or something like this. And I just thought, surely, like, I, because I, I like to deal with things very simply. I'm a very, at the heart of it, I'm a very simple person, like in both my football analysis, I'm an eye test guy. I don't get bothered with stats or anything like that because they never had it back in the day when I think football was real football, like to use its term. So I just thought, um, let me see some companies that could potentially back it because I had written a book back in lockdown when all of us had a lot more time on our hands and I wrote one that was more generic football based, but I then discovered pitch publishing. I don't know if you're with them as well, or if you've heard of them. I've I've heard of them, mate. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm I'm with no one. I'm, I'm at the very beginning of the journey. I have Henry winter as a contact, um, you know, who probably, you know, if you're going to get a contact, guess a good one to have. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't have, you know, for me, it's a case of writing chapter by chapter, wait to get to the end and then, probably read through it about five times change it and then yep. uh, then i'll probably pick up the phone to people like you and henry and say what do, <laughs> I do with it now so for any like before we dive into the ac milan story the wonderful story of ac milan what does a budding writer need to do to get published then um In short basically yeah like there's a couple of ways to do it so i went down the self-published route on amazon and to be honest it's the it's the longest winded one only because you have to do everything and that's not just the writing but also the typesetting which is how it looks in the book uh the font choice you have to declare if it's for kids or for adults i.e if you're swearing if there's mature themes and you can get like pretty done over by that the description the seo the the, the cover you have to do everything but amazon will put it on prime fulfill it and create it so they are very and the commission structure from amazon is actually brilliant you probably get 30 to 40 percent off every book which you like that's why i wanted to do it because i had full creative control and i liked having that control so to be honest i would say if you haven't already or if you just have a small book idea with like a short story idea i'd probably stick it on there because it can go on kindle for a shorter price and you can really get your reviews and get like published kind of through that but then um the other way is there are especially for football i can't speak on other any other topic but football there are some indie publishers which instead of going through the beaten path of saying you have to have an agent and you have to they have to bring us you to us you can fill out a form that they have submit your ideas and go from there so pitch the one that i used is um all they asked for was a rough idea like a kind of 300 word thing uh, a full breakdown of what each chapter would be uh, the title subtitle target audience so but from then they could just say it's not good for us we'll pass on it and you you kind of left to your own devices again so i i'm a champion of the self-published route personally because it's it's opened i personally think that it opened the door to pitch because i put in my email to them because it was a very simple thing i put in my email to them here's a book that i've done already and i'll send you the copy if you want to have a look so i think there's two ways but yeah there are other ways now there's probably more ways now than ever and i'd probably use your social media channels if you can to reach out to people like who who know a bit a little bit more but um yeah i think now we're starting to get into a realm where it's a lot less uh what's the word less complicated than it was sure. but um sure. but yeah that's those would be my two main ones i reckon well it's good it's good that people like yourself um 
you, you, you're a trailblazer, you're a trailblazer. And the reason why you are is because you give people, normal people, normal budding writers hope that you can achieve it. If you want to go out and achieve something in life, if you put your mind to it, you can do it. And you've mm. heard people say it forever. And you think, really, though, is it true? Listening to what mm. you're saying. I mean, I have heard of pitch publishing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And to be fair, their football catalogue is probably yeah, rivaled. Um, it's absolutely yeah. incredible. But yeah. About your book that, that that you've released. Now, obviously, um, it's called The Conquerors. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a little breakdown of, you know, just really when it's, what's the timeframes that we're looking at? Are we looking circa, you know, 94 to 2005? Are we, what, what are we looking at? Yeah, almost bang on. We're looking at about 98 to 2007 cool. overall. So the, the whole kind of thing came about is I looked, I just thought when I was a kid, I'm 26. So when I looked at, all the teams that I was afraid of growing up because I'm a United fan. So to be honest, back then there weren't as many clubs to be afraid of because most were afraid of us. Yeah. Um, but then I think back then I was always afraid of the Chelsea's under Mourinho, the Galacticos of Madrid, Rijkaard's Barca. And then you had Ancelotti's AC Milan. And I just, I was reading, I was listening to a pod, it wasn't a podcast. It was an interview with Ruud van Nistelrooy, my favourite player of all time. What a who, player. Yeah, I think he was with the Oxford Union or Oxford Journal or something. And someone asked him who was the hardest opponent you ever came up against. And he just listed the AC Milan back five, excluding the keeper, the, the CDM. So he went through the names. It was Cafu, Nesta, Stam, Maldini and Gattuso. For me, probably the greatest backline in history. I can't think of one that comes close to it. If I'm honest, pound for pound, man for man. I don't I think, think there's any... I, well, I, I think... The rest of the team, because I'm a Liverpool fan, I know that team off by heart. And I know yeah. for one half, probably one of the, you'll get to it, no doubt, but one of the greatest halves of football. And I was on, I'm not going to lie, I was thinking we're going to get, we're going to get, yeah. you know, back in that time, we weren't, you know, on everybody's lips as a great club and we were yeah. ridiculed weekly. Uh, and obviously yeah. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah, imagine yeah. if they would have done what they did in the first half and the second half would have been real trouble. But sorry, mate, carry on. Yeah, great. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where it, it kind of came from. And yeah, you're, I'm guessing, on to that night in the famous night in Istanbul. But it, it, yeah, and it kind of, so the, the whole journey of the book takes you from the very first player signed under Ancelotti to get to that famous team. So if I remember off by heart, yeah, Dida, Cafu, Nesta, Stan, Maldini, Gattuso, Seydorf, Kaka, Pirlo. and then I want to say Pirlo, and then Shevchenko and Crespo. So that, as a team, was one of the most like revered, most well-balanced side ever. But then your team, I think you had Barros, you had Schmitzer who came off the bench. You Jimmy Traore. Jimmy Traore at left back. Steve Finnan, I think, played right yeah, back. Yeah, Harry Kuehl come off after bench. about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, Harry Kuehl, famous Jersey Dudek doing that save and goal. So yeah. it, was, it should have been a whitewash. In the first half, it was a whitewash. But everyone remembers Istanbul. And for, for the right reasons, probably the best final ever. I can't think of anything better than that. But um, it was just six minutes of just... It didn't. It doesn't make sense to this day. I don't think anyone looks at that and thinks it makes sense. Dida saves a penalty, you get the rebound. Dida makes a mistake, and then you a long range. It just doesn't. It yeah. shouldn't have happened. And yeah. then Dudek made a crazy one of the best double Point saves blank. ever against against uh, Sheva, I think. So you have all of that, and then everyone remembers Liverpool, and that kind of kicked you guys on a little bit to to go a bit better than where you were, a lot better than where you were. But then Milan just sort of got forgotten after that. And I felt like that team kept getting 
ridiculed by that Istanbul trauma. So I wanted to take another look on the miracle of Istanbul because it was a nightmare for them. Um, and the more I looked into it, the more I realized that half the team had to go into therapy after the game for what they wow. call Istanbul syndrome. So they didn't want to play anymore. PLO thought about retiring. Uh, Maldini thought he'd cut his time short. Maldini of all people thought he'd cut his time short. Um, but then they stuck with it. They stuck with uh, Ancelotti and then Calciopoli hit, which decimated Italian football really Juve- Juventus got this was the uh, the um the famous scandal where it was it's called football gate but it was where Juventus were caught up in match fixing so mm. they got sent to Serie B all their best players left uh Milan got dock points they they lost their title uh, Inter got dock, dock points I think Roma Reggiana a few others like a lot of people were involved and Italian football never recovered even now it's never recovered um and then it was kind of a last hurrah for Ancelotti to take that Milan team to where they had to go. But they lost Shevchenko, probably their best, one of their best ever strikers to to Chelsea. And yet in 2007, they come up in Athens against Liverpool again, wearing the exact same kit with very Inzaghi. similar players. And Inzaghi scored twice. And I think Crouchy might have scored one and, and lost. So, and I think it's one of the best sort of redemption stories in football for me. Because I, I don't think you can go through Istanbul then Calciopoli and have everyone hate you to then win the Champions League. That shouldn't happen, but it did. And on the same thing, I think in 2003, they lost to Boca Juniors in the uh, Club World Cup. And in 2007, they got to play them again in the exact same stadium with the exact same kit and they beat them. So it's just the whole the whole uh, story just came full circle, but no one had written about them. And the team before them, which was uh, under Capello called the Invincibles, they went, I think, 58 games unbeaten, more, way more than Arsenal. And um, the one before that, the Immortals under Saki, Rijkaard, Hullet van Basten. So... No one ever put them on. I put them on that pedestal. I think they're they're just as impressive, but they needed a name. So gave them one that I feel fits the sort of fits the title. And then the story just wrote itself. I was just there to pull it all together. And it was easy in the end because there was so much like two rides about. People are still talking about Istanbul to, to this day. And this season was Milan and Inter in the semi-final, which was the first time since the Istanbul year. So it all kind of came came to a head. But um, but yeah, that's uh, essentially what it was for. So I was scared of them as a kid and thought, get over my fear, I'd write about, I'd write about them now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the first time I encountered that Milan team was the final Old Trafford. Um, mm. They got to, I think they won it on penalties. Did they win Against it? Against Juventus. Yeah, 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 I remember no, no, that. Juventus, yeah. I mean, I've been with England. I've been to Italy twice in the past year. Um mm-hmm. We lost in the San Siro. Um, I think it was 1-0. I think we lost. We got beat there. Um, and Because actually in Italy at the moment, they're having a bit of a... You're right, that Italian football, I wouldn't say it's in the beer. I still think they can attract big players yeah, and they can, big they can. money. However, yeah. it's not, you know, circa 94 to 99. Like oh, I'm talking, no. I'm talking, you know, that Parma team, for instance. Yeah. You, you know the one. For real, and and I've I've been into I've been into the San Siro, and it people say they should keep the stadium, keep the stadium, and I'm a football stadium buff. I I love football stadiums, and I understand the romance, and I understand it's you know I wanted to go because it was a bucket list. The San Siro yeah, yeah, yeah. to take it off. That's life. That's football life. If you haven't, you've failed. And I think yeah, I've been all, I've been twice. So yeah. I love it. Love the San Siro. But, but going into the San Siro, um, up in that top tier. Two of the middle sections were closed off due to safety issues. Uh, the mm. toilets, I thought, were an aberration. Um, I, I was staggered um, at it. And yeah. it just looked dated because if you do some research into that stadium, the, the the bottom ring was actually, that's actually been in place 
since the 30s or 40s. Yeah, since the war, yeah. Yeah, and and it was actually founded by an Englishman, I believe, and that's where the English press comes from in the back. Yeah, it was. Um, and then it was redone up again in the 70s, 60s, 70s for the second ring. So in the late 80s, the San Siro, what you would have saw, which a lot of fans, not like us, but younger fans, will only notice the red of the San Siro, Italia 90. But actually, it was like a bowl. It was not a bowl. Yeah. Uh, it was no roof. And, and actually, all they've done is added on another tier or two, put yeah. the stanchions on top and put the roof on. And yeah. it's outdated. Now, what I think they should do with it is keep it in place and turn it into a football museum sort of relic do something with it to preserve it and then there's land adjacent to it which the clubs inter and ac should share again because it clearly works and they should share it build a new stadium but because the reason one of the reasons why the italian clubs are not kicking on to the next level to rival the premier league la liga is the hospitality issue now people talk about hospitality in football we don't like it we don't want it true as it may be the case probably right however clubs rely on it um, and when I went to Naples about three or four months ago, um, we won there 2-1. Um, again, old. And and I think the yeah. stadiums are actually owned by the council. And that's mm. a problem in Italian football, because if, if the clubs can buy the stadiums back, redevelop them, that again, visually, it will yeah. look and feel better. Because I'm going to be honest with you, as a Liverpool fan, do I fancy Napoli away? No, thank you. Nah. You know, <laughs> and, you know uh, it, it's 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 tough Italian football. But swiftly moving on, where can uh, where can my listeners where where can they buy your book and you know and what what's next in the plans book wise? Yeah, so, well, first, I completely agree on the Italian football front. I think they are a long way. But, yeah, it's a sad thing to, uh, like, because I partly did this to kind of keep the love of kind of that team alive. And clearly yeah. a lot of people still love it, but it does have a long uh, way to go. But, um, but yeah, thankfully, the book does ship internationally now on Amazon. So Pitch have sent it to the warehouses across the world and they, uh, but yeah, will go international. So Amazon is the easiest. I mean, yeah, wow. it's just by far the easiest way to get on. So Amazon Prime, you can get it next day delivery, kind of like anywhere else. But um, I think further afield, you can get it from Barnes & Noble in the States, uh, WH Smith across the UK and a few other kind of smaller booksellers like stanchion have a few signed copies of mine and um i even have some so i think throughout the season i might look to do some more sort of um giveaways with what Ooh. with what i've got um i'm trying to get something done with classic football shirts i'm trying to get it done for ages but it'd be great if we could do something there but um but yeah i have quite a few copies to give away and i'm, I'm happy to do that for for free and um so yeah so I th- i'd say amazon is the best and then next steps yeah it's i i think so I've written three books all, all together. This was my second. The third mm. isn't really out yet, which is why I haven't spoken about it much. But sure, uh, sure. a football club in Portugal called Boa Vista, they'd hit me up maybe towards the back end of last year and said they have an idea, which was a fact-based fictional story about the inauguration of the club, which is essentially, sorry if you listeners don't know this, but Jack and Rose on the Titanic aren't real, but the Titanic was. The story of Jack and Rose is just there to embellish what happened on the Titanic. So it's um it's in a similar way. They said, you know, come up with a story around the roots of how the club was there, because I think it was 19... 19- Oh, one to 1910 and there was very little data they had, they had nothing basically so um yeah they gave me what they did i've flown over there a couple of times and um, we released that and then that gave me the sort of bug to start writing a bit more fiction work so i have an idea i i'm very much at the 
genesis of it all. So the way I start is I get a Google Doc up and I put loads of bullet points and I think, okay, how can it all work? So I'm at the bullet point, the very beginning of the bullet point stage. But the the next one I will do will 100% be uh, fictional and 100% self-published as well. So I'd like to own all the rights to it and um, see where I can go from there. But yeah, that'll be on Amazon as well and on all my socials. So that'll be the easiest way. Well, I for one will certainly certainly look forward to to reading, especially the the Conqueror's book. That really does interest me. Actually, I'm very very looking mm. forward to reading that. So I'll speak to you on offline about get getting yeah, hold of, of one of those books. But it's funny you should mention Portugal. Actually, um, I, you know you may not have known, or I can send you a YouTube link. But my listeners know that we raise money once a year for charity, and we go and visit and we set world records. And uh, what we did at TTM Sports is. Uh, in the season after COVID, we visited every single Premier League stadium in a world record time. Um, in a car, uh-huh. we visited every single stadium. Uh, we did the first one in around 21 hours and 10 minutes. Uh, earlier this year, earlier this year, we did Holland. Um, and uh-huh. we, started, we started off at FC Volendam, where Mickey van der Ven, yeah. Tottenham Hotspur, started his career. Um, mm-hmm. All on YouTube. We went around, um, what got onto the pitch at a few of the grounds. Alkmaar was very accommodating. Um and uh, we we ended at the Amsterdam Arena and watched a game. We watched a nil nil draw um, with Ajax. <laughs> that was my standard. Um, but next year we're doing Portugal. Um, so oh, it's, it's interesting you should say that. Now Boa Vista, no doubt you'll 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 generate and you will. I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. You, yeah, you'll generate a love for them right in the book, no doubt. And yeah. in, in Spain for me, it's Deportivo La Coruña. It, it's just yeah, the story yeah. of Deport. It's just unbelievable. Nicholas Lendoiro, the chairman, and how we built it and then lost it all with Roy Mackay, etc. Yeah, my, but, I remember that. For me, my my club is, I, I want to visit Braga in Portugal. I think mm. it's uh, an outstanding, unique football stadium for the boffins yeah. out there. But what we'll do is uh, I'll, I'll hit you up on, on that as well because that'll be some potentially collaborations are always good especially for yeah. the guy. <laughs> but, but what we will do is I'm, I'm very very interested to read that book and no doubt my listeners will be too um now just to just briefly talk about your social media of the and the influencing and the absolute colossal amount of followers <laughs> that you have like where can we catch you what's it that you do and how many followers have you got yeah, so yeah, it's it's a it's a topic that I I'm happy to talk about. I still I'm getting to grips with, uh, actually talking about it. Only this morning I was at, in Asda and someone recognised me. I actually said my name and recognised me, and it's just I, I don't know Brilliant. what to say back. But it's yeah, I think so. There's a few things I started. I think only in really January this year was when it probably started kicking off. But um, I put out a video that got quite viral in the sense that I think it did about 20 million views on my channel. And then I totted it up on, I think people took it and put it everywhere else. And mm. it must have done about a quarter of a billion on its own. Jesus. So looking at that, and then that just sort of spiraled into a few other things. But um, I think on my main channel, which is where I do just sort of like funny, reactive, sketchy comedy stuff, like stupid stuff, really. That uh, One thing is I'm the butt of the joke always. I don't make fun of anyone else. It's always me, which is which is why I think people probably gravitate towards it. Um, but yeah, that is on TikTok, and that's about three hundred. 177k i think now fantastic 
And then the uh, Instagram is about 275. So yeah, Ooh. across those two, nearly six, about over 600. And then there's a football side as well. So I've tried really growing the football channel a lot more, Dev FC, which is what I've been trying to promote on Twitter, especially, um, which is at about 35K now. And that's where predominantly Man United, because I'm unfortunately at the moment a Man United fan. Um, and I have a massive kind of love of football collectibles and hobbying. So I've started up a website called Hobby FC, which is dedicated purely to, you know, cards, shirts, trading, all that kind of good Wonderful. stuff. And that's building at the moment. So, yeah, hopefully I'm trying to live in a world where I can put <laughs> some effort into all of them and drive them in a few different directions. Because, yeah, I don't put myself in a box very often. I, I yeah. just see if, if it lands and see see where it goes. But, um, but, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. So, yeah, very weird sort of situation where people are coming up to you and saying such lovely things it's, it's a very strange uh thing but uh yes yeah, a lot y- you have to get used to it because people do say horrible things and when you are unfortunate when you well not unfortunately but when you are asian and you are a minority you're online people will say what they want to say and me trying i'll try and do what you guys have been doing like go to different games abroad and i went to milan twice obviously that's why i wrote the book but yeah you know yeah. my experience as an asian man might be different to to anybody else because it's yeah. that is the way of the world so i'm slowly beginning to learn about all this trying to raise awareness about what how football can change and that can be a bit better but um through the channels is how i'm doing it so yeah just trying to promote as much sort of positive vibes <laughs> as i can on on all of them which is what i aim to do well, well, look, Dev. I'll put your uh, socials all throughout, um, throughout our our socials here. I usually do the podcast, believe it or not, um, with another guy usually in the studio that we got out the back, and and his name is Dev as well. And uh, oh, nice. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's 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 so yeah. So Dev's not here tonight. Dev will be listening, <laughs> yeah. no doubt. But we got another Dev in tonight, which is pretty <laughs> yeah. cool. And you know what? Um, you know, haters are gonna hate, but also mm. lovers are gonna love. Yeah, 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 balance, and you should be proud of what you're doing. And I think. Honestly, you're inspirational, mate, and and you should uh, just to keep 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 breaking down those barriers, keep writing those books and getting it out because you know there'll be listen people that listen to our show. We've got listeners in Slovakia, America, Australia. Um, we even have people you know in India and Myanmar and you know Qatar and Saudi everywhere. And the main the main thing is for for us is is to get your stuff out there. And that's, mm. that's pretty cool. And as far as I'm concerned, I think, yeah, truly inspirational. And I, for one, I'll send you a couple of drafts of where I'm at, you know, chapter yeah, of <laughs> but <laughs> it takes time. I've never done it before. Mm. So it takes time, but I will get there. But um, in terms of Man United, very quickly, just before we uh, end, yeah. <laughs> I mean, am I the only one? And I, I, I called it out and people may laugh, ridicule, say, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to say it. All right, I think Onana's a fraud. I, I I don't. I do not think. I, I honestly, David de Gea for me um, is a good goalkeeper, but I, I just think Onana shot stopping excellent. You you can't deny. Mm. But do you not think there's that inch about him that's a bit, you know, got got lobbed from the halfway line the other day? I, I feel that the penalty should have been given against Wolves. Mm-hmm. I'm not having him. It is a contentious one, but mm-hmm. I'm actually proved right with gut instinct. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on Onana, first of all, and where are you going to come this season? Top four? 
Onana, for me, is probably one of the most important signings we could have made, only because I've, and you can see on my socials, I've loved De Gea since the moment he, he stepped yeah. in at United. For me, he's, I don't get all this love for Van der Sar when he only spent a few seasons at, at United. Yeah. I, I always say that the second greatest keeper we've ever had is David De Gea behind Peter Schmeichel. Like, De Gea was for shot stopping, for ability, for agility, athleticism. I'm a goalkeeper myself. I don't think you get better than De Gea. Every in, in terms of how you angle your body, you position yourself to get a save done, you cannot... I think he's faultless. I think he was perfect. Yeah. Um, the thing where he was imperfect is that his um, his mistakes and his lack and his lack of concentration, but also his fear, for lack mm. of a better word. He was a very fearful goalkeeper. He was very small. He was slight. He, he was 6'2". He was still tall, but very, very slight. He never looked 6'2". He looked like 5'10", yeah. because he was always tiny. But he was a very... He was a very fearful goalkeeper. He never came out for the ball, ever. I can't remember. When he first joined, everyone said it, didn't they? In the box, they used to crowd him. I remember that. Yeah, but they still do. No no one's ever stopped that. I remember us losing about four points last season because of him. Mm -hmm. him, But then Mm -hmm. we gained six because he'd save us in games. So Honestly, sometimes when he's on it... Like Alisson, we've got Alisson, it's the same yeah. thing, you know. Whoa. But he's world-class. He, he was a world-class keeper, and we've got to remember, I don't think since Schmeichel we ever had the best goalkeeper in the world. Mm. With De Gea, we had him for about four or five years. I and agree that's with that. When, that's what, not, that's, and Neuer you know, probably with yeah. him, yeah. Neuer was up there, but then you always have that Premier League versus Bundesliga debate, and I think De Gea, just because of that, he wins it probably on that yeah. basis. But, yeah. but I, honestly, he was incredible. But there were times when if we were 1-0 up, two one up and then they had the impetus and they would just lob balls into the box we were always afraid David De Gea made you afraid he was so small and he could he would never come out for it he'd probably pull off a great save but he would be on his line all the time and because he was on his line the defenders would be further back because the defenders are further back you're never caught offside because you're never caught offside you're probably going to score and then meanwhile you see Onana the halfway line goal is not his fault Dello puts a horrible pass in and it goes to their player very good shot to be fair to him and it goes in but then same thing happens to Ramsdale against Sporting in the Europa League when they probably should have won that game so so you're always going to have that but um, I think with Onana when we were 2-1 up uh, 3-2 up sorry against uh, Nottingham Forest and it was what like 12 minutes added on and then they just they were 10 men down so they threw the kitchen sink at us I was not I was not scared at all because I was like we've got Onana he'll pull out a good save he's a good shot stopper but he his timing Except for Wolves, I'll give you that. That was a pen. I don't know how we got away with that. <laughs> I we finally found it. a Man United fan oh, just admitting it's a penalty. It was such a. We fully. Got, I don't know how they didn't get <laughs> that, but um, but you take them because then as soon as that happened, they had another chance, yeah. and he comes out flying at three players' feet, and he saves the ball. De Gea yeah, doesn't do yeah. that, so yeah, yeah. he he's a he's a remarkable person, like player, but also. I like the fact that he's just got a bit of edge. I think every goalkeeper is a bit nuts and you do need a bit of edge. I think Alisson and Edison are incredibly polished for how good they are. You expect a bit of stupidity every now and again, but you, you get it sometimes, but not not a lot. But Onana, we're going to have it where he's going to make his mistakes. He will absolutely make mistakes that David De Gea would never do. But just for the sake of having a goalkeeper that can take the ball at his feet with both feet, he's exceptional with both feet, which is outstanding for a keeper and to be as tall as he is as big as he is as imposing players can't hide when Onana's screaming at you under De Gea 
who's really taking him seriously? No one was. Mm. Like Maguire got saved so many times by De Gea. Mm. And that's why I think if we play Maguire this season and we get Onana, we're probably going to concede more goals, but mm. Onana won't let it stand. So that will be at Maguire further and further out the door. But, but I hope that happens now. But um, I love him. And in terms of where we are this season, if you'd asked me two weeks ago when we were selling McTominay and selling Maguire and buying Amrabat and Graven Birch and all these players, I would have said easy fourth, third, maybe even higher. But I think this is going to be a chaotic one. We have to strap ourselves in and just know that if we sign Cucurella, it's not actually a bad deal. Like it's, He's a good player, yeah. um, good inverted win back as well with our injuries. So I'm in for a bit of chaos this season. I'm not putting any expectations that we're going to win any games easily. I think there's going to be more of the horrible scorelines we saw last season. You guys obviously given us the definitely given us the worst one i don't need um, to say anything and i'm going to show show united some respect we're the two most successful clubs in english football yeah. history i don't need to say anything no but i because i've always had respect for liverpool i don't like you obviously and you guys no, don't like same. us but yeah, like, yeah, i would yeah. always say that you guys are the second biggest and we were the biggest but it could easily go either way yeah. and i think um with um yeah like with where we are as well we have to Look at it in the sense that pound for pound, we are probably the worst run club in the football in the the football world because no one puts as many losses as we do in terms of financial. No one has owners who put in zero money. You guys protest yours, but you've got a new stand in your stadium. You've got at least new training development. We we've got we've got nothing. They've ruined us. And if if people were to actually take away the United bit a little bit and probably take away the bias that we want everything so you deserve it, all this crap. And to look at it from a football standpoint, Leeds should never be where they are. Mm-hmm. We should not be where we are. FC Barcelona, the fact they had to get, they'd sell rights to the Camp new to stay afloat is disgusting. And the fact mm-hmm. that you've got Boca Juniors and River who are nowhere near where they should be on a continental stage, shall we say. And AC Milan, where they are now, yeah. it's... Like it's just a series of mismanagement, and yeah, when you guys were being mismanaged, I loved it. Bring back Hicks and Gillette, it was fun. <laughs> but like, I still looked Mate, at that. We had and Christian Paulson, yeah, yeah, I know. and <laughs> Syriatus Kirigakis at yeah. centre back, you know, and it was it it. It's like coming home and seeing your wife in bed with someone, mate. It was yeah, horrible. horrible. It, it made me it feel is. sick, um, you know. And I, and I think, look, in terms of United, the only the only thing that rival fans will say, but you're still spending sixty million, still spending eighty million. But I get where you're coming from. I think with, with our owners, yes, you could argue that they've they've invested in infrastructure, but they've done it at the detriment of the yeah. first team. But then again, it's it's a case everyone of everyone does look, that. Like Tottenham I mean, did it, Arsenal did it. Like yeah, they man. All, yeah. You did it, you know? I mean, we. I don't want state ownership which they're talking about mm. for, for us and united i would rather yeah. investment and i'm a fan of the german football model where it's 50 yeah, yeah yeah 51 yeah yeah 51 and, and basically fan owned and then if you have like owners from anywhere in the world i don't care <laughs> yeah. is there investing great but i think ownership of our football clubs that we love dearly should be by the fans that's my personal i, I agree um, I, I do agree but but I, I think yeah, and I think, yeah, to close it off, I think I could talk yeah. about the Glazers for forever, but I think no, what, no. <laughs> what people say, with with the amount that we spend, yeah, we spend a bit. It's our money. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we've like the Glazers, it, I think that there was a chart, I think the FT came out of the chart last year about how much money 
owners have put in. Obviously, Man City were well ahead because they mm. were nobody. Let's let's be very frank. When we won the treble, they were in League One. They well, they, they were, were losing. Is it eight one at home to Middlesbrough or away to Middlesbrough? Middlesbrough. Like a Fonzo yeah. Alves hat trick or something like yeah, that. Michael Ball at left back. Or yeah. Back. <laughs> remember him taking out Mendes with the elbow. That's Man City. Yeah. Sunji High. You know, I'm talking about Sean Gale, Paul Dickock. Yeah. That's Man City. Alano. Exactly. Max. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that is what they were. But then all of a sudden they've taken on the model and they've done it perfectly. Oh, I'll give them their dues. 115 charges subsides, but that's that's football, unfortunately. They will they'll get away with it. But they've done it perfectly in the sense that they are the amount of jobs they've raised for each side of Manchester, what they've done to the stadium, the development, they've got feeder clubs all around the world. They've boosted the, yeah, the city group. east of those. I'm doing a bit it's of insane. investigative stuff into the city group. Although on paper it looks great, I think it's, it's money laundering. It's like it? business, you know. Yeah, true. Sorry, I had a little sneeze there. Yeah, in terms of the City Group, that's a, it's another story altogether. Great concept, great medal. Get it, New York, and uh, um, is it who's it? Mumbai, Rona, um, Melbourne. Then, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in uh, Palermo now as well. Um, yeah. so there's clubs all over. And like, I get it, I get it. But I, I with Dev, we we did a bit of digging, and there was a, there's a couple of weird transfers but then again if it's under their umbrella you can't really question it you know but, yeah, but it's money laundering isn't it like the, the fact that you're buying you how how the lampard thing should have been enough like that that's all i'll say well, on, jack on harrison that one, but, maybe, you know exactly look at that but that's yeah. for another day and i mean look yeah i'll be honest i feel like i could talk to you for hours but the yeah. reality <laughs> is is um no I, I i appreciate you coming on sort of podcast and by all means we you know sometimes we organize podcasts where we get a couple of ex-professional players on i mean we've had matt jarvis on the show effie sodjay we you, you name we pretty much you know adam on the show john salako actually not long ago he was oh, quite nice. good but usually yeah, yeah. what we do is we'll get like a Man United fan, a Liverpool fan, Tottenham fan, Arsenal fan, and we'll just debate for an hour and it's a good, it's a good yeah. laugh. But, you know, um, look, Dev, I, I really uh, appreciate you taking the time to come onto the podcast this evening. Um, we'll share all your stuff on socials um, and we'll really continue to promote and champion your great, great work. Thank you very much. And yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm, I'm always here to have a little natter about football, whichever way it is. So yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, buddy. You are now listening to the TTM Sports Show. The show that's by the fans, for the fans. Hosted by me, James Hounsell. And me, James Harrison. Where we bring you... Explosive debate. Big interviews and guests. Trending topics. With regular uploads. And now sponsored by Froome's very own Prestige Paving and Patios. And also now with over 100 episodes. You're listening... To the TTM Sports Show. Sports Social Podcast Network.